0: Before you, with grateful hearts, for the fact that you you transform us, not just on the outside but on the inside, and that's what matters. Uh, the fact that in everything that we do, we get to give you praise is something to be praised. And I pray um, over the words. Uh, so that you can so that you can use me and you can use me not just on the inside but also my whole being God on the outside so we give you today father it is your day and let it lead up into a week that is your week and that in everything that we turned off my mic and got off stage because I'm not used to being the one speaking, but I'm excited to be here with you guys today. For you, for, you, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Catherine. Uh, I get the honor and privilege to be the youth pastor here at One Church. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, so today I am going to be talking about Jonah. And I don't know about any of you, but I grew up in church, so I grew up knowing about the story of Jonah. I mean, it went all the way from, like, the felt boards, you know, the little things where they, like, acted it out for you, to, like, sitting in church like this, hearing someone on stage preach about their Jonah moment, you know, where God called them to something, they ran away, they got swallowed by an imaginary whale, and then they went the right way. And then the story ends. Right, So in my mind, my whole life, Jonah was, this, was a prophet of God who was supposed to go to Nineveh, but was scared, fearful because of what was happening in Nineveh at the time. And then, so he got on a ship, like right away, just hopped on. He's like, well, okay, God, I see what you want me to do, but I'm going to go this way. And God's like, nope, sends a big storm, gets swallowed by a whale. He repents in the belly of the whale, which... Is disgusting. Let's just take a moment for that. It's just gross, and uh, and then he goes to Nineveh, and in one sermon or like one moment, the entire city—so not like a hundred people, but like probably like six hundred thousand people—repent from what they were doing, and even the king of Nineveh says, "We are going to put sackcloth on and we are going to mourn our sins." So. Jonah is like this awesome guy, right? Like he's got up, he's like said what God has called him to say. The whole city repents, and he goes about his way, and he's super excited. And then Jonah ends. That's how I've always known it to be. So when I talked to Matt and Jamel what I was going to preach on, I was like, oh, I'm going to preach on Jonah because I got that. That's a piece of cake. I got this. Don't worry. I know I had my Jonah moment picked out. I had, like, all of it figured out. And then Matt says to me, okay, so before you preach, you have to learn. So for the next month, I just want you to read the book of Jonah. Well, I made it to chapter 4, and Jonah was different all of a sudden. He was no longer just the great prophet that was afraid of Nineveh. He was all of a sudden this prophet of God who was selfish, who – didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't think they deserved to be saved. Like, he thought that he knew who God should extend his compassion, mercy, and forgiveness to. So he got on a ship and fled. And it's still true. God sent a storm. And it's by the way, it's not a whale. It's a big fish. <laughs> so I learned that one. was like, oh, big fish, good. Um still spends three days in the belly of the well, still repents and says, salvation is yours. God, I will go. I will be obedient. And he goes to Nineveh. And he preaches that same sermon. And I don't know about you. This is my first time preaching in this context. So I don't know how I'm going to feel after. But I got to imagine if 600,000 people repented, After one sermon and said, all right, I'm going to take what you said and I'm going to run with it. And I'm going to believe in the God that you're talking about. Like, I got to believe that I would be super excited about that. (laughs) Like, I'd be like, let's throw a party. Like, the biggest rager you've ever seen. Let's get this going. But Jonah instead goes up, leaves the city, and is angry. He's mad. He's bitter that God saved a bunch of people who, in his mind, because of all the evil acts they had done, did not deserve to be saved. So Jonah 4, uh, 1 through 4, actually kind of summarizes Jonah's reaction to Nineveh being saved. He says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, it is not that I said when I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious, gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Let's just pause for a second and realize that, jo- that Jonah just straight up said, okay, God, I know that you're all of those qualities. I'm still mad about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm still mad about the fact that you extended all those qualities yeah. to people who have done nothing to deserve it. So then he goes on and says, "Therefore, O Lord, O Lord, please take my life from me, well, for it is better for me to to die than to live." And the Lord said, "Do you well to be angry?" Come on. So Jonah so when I was looking through this, and I was like, okay, it says it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And I'm thinking, he's pretty mad. But actually, the Hebrew translation is, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Yeah. So he wasn't just angry. He saw that the, the people of Nineveh being saved as evil. So can you imagine, like you're a prophet. You're something that God says, hey, I'm going to use you. After he's used you, you're sitting there with God, and you're saying, what you just did, God, is evil. Who wants to be on the opposite end of that? <laughs> Definitely not me. Right. So I'm like, I, I read this, and I'm like, Jonah, like, you just straight up called out God well, and uh, said you're evil. Well, yeah. But right before that, you were saying how he was gracious uh, uh, and merciful yeah. and slow to anger. Yeah. 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 And so I, I, I read this, and then God doesn't like Bring it down on Jonah, which, let's be honest, if you've ever been in some sort of thing where someone says something to you about your character, like, I'm a reactor, so I just kind of want to, like, lay it out yeah. for everybody and be like, okay, that's what you think, but you don't know me. <laughs> don't, don't pretend like you do. And, and all God says was, do you, do you do well to be angry? Basically, is it getting you anywhere to be mad right now? Are you accomplishing anything yeah. in this? So before we proceed in chapter 4, let us I'm just kind of going to recap what's happened. Jonah has fled. Big storm. Big fish swallows him up after he's thrown overboard. Um, he spends three days in the belly of a whale with, I just can't imagine what kind of <laughs> guck, like, Again, I think of, like, someone being in the belly of in my stomach and all the junk that's in there. It's just gross. He spends three days in the belly of the whale. He repents. God says, here's another chance. He goes to Nineveh. He saves the people. And then he throws a tantrum like a two-year-old. Right. And I don't have kids, but I've nannied quite a bit. <laughs> and I will say I've seen my fair share of tantrums. And so you think that after God says, Jonah, is this getting you anywhere, it might like kind of like knock Jonah upside the head, like if you're talking to a child who's like throwing a fit, like is this really doing anything, is this getting you anywhere? And they might stop or settle down, but sometimes they don't, and Jonah doesn't. Jonah goes to the east side of the city, sits himself down, makes himself a shelter, And watches because he's ready for Nineveh to be destroyed like Jesus said. Like God said, Nineveh was going to be destroyed. He has just missed everything. And he's still waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed. So God's watching him with all his grace and mercy and compassion. He sprouts up a plant so that Jonah is shaded. Hoping that maybe Jonah would see that he's offering that same, like those same characteristics to him. But no, the plant gets eaten, and then there's this large wind and this sun, and Jonah's like sweating, and he's gross, and he's like, all right, God, really, it is better for me to die than to live. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading this, like, really, Jonah, like you'd rather die than live after that many people have decided to follow God. How selfish, yeah. how superior do you have to on, be come on, come on. to think that you deserve something more than they do? Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's, so he's, he's mad about the plant being eaten. He's mad about the fact that he's in this heat. And God says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And then it ends. The book of Jonah ends. And I read it a couple of times and I was like, that cannot be the end. <laughs> that cannot be all God says to Jonah after he just threw the biggest hissy fit of all time. Like, Really? But then I've read it more and more and I've realized that essentially God is saying you pity a plant they had no part in, but you can't pity people that you also had no part in. That they needed they they needed me. The same way you needed this plant. So what's the difference? And I think about how Jonah, in all his greatness, but yet all his selfishness and superiority, missed the mark. Yeah. Like, he encountered God. And, like, so many, like, we've been talking for the last four weeks on contact. These con- these things that people have come in contact with God and their lives have been changed. Well, in my op- opinion, Jonah has a, like, in interaction with God, and he misses the mark. Yeah. Like, he misses what God is trying to teach him because he's too caught up in himself. It's like if you're standing at the edge of the ocean, and the edge of the ocean is vast, right? I don't know if how many of you have ever been, but um, I grew up in California, so standing there so many times in my life, and looking out, and there's, there was no end. Even going to a place like Lake Tahoe, there's no end. Like, you really can't see the other side. And so, it's essentially, it's kind of like God's character. Like, it's a, this vast ocean that you can't see the end of. And all we have, and all, and all Jonah had, was this tiny little Dixie cup To pick up as much of God's forgiveness, compassion, and mercy. And understand it. And instead of picking up that little bit that God was showing him. He dumped it out. Because in his mind they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve the forgiveness and the compassion and the mercy that God wanted and did extend to these people. Now, Nineveh was um, known for their cruelty. It was actually also an um, enemy of the Israelites and the people of Judah. And so there's some understanding as to why Jonah had so many feelings towards these people. I don't know about you, but there has been times in my life where there's been people that have hurt me, and I've thought to myself, like, yeah. Like, I deserve all these things, but maybe maybe you don't. Maybe, like, maybe you deserve it, like, this much, and I deserve it, like, this much. Like, like, I I picture Jonah saying, okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll preach. They can repent, but you need to hold up your end of the deal and still destroy them. (laughs) And, like, we've also bargained with God. We're like, okay, God, we'll do this. But you still need to hold up your end of the deal and do that. But God's like, I know they're cruel. I know they're evil. I know it's hard for you to go there. But they're still my people. And again, we don't get to decide who God extends that part of himself to. Although sometimes we think that we do. Like we take that upon ourselves that it's our job to decide who God shows himself to. I was digging a little bit deeper into compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. And again, growing up in the church, I've heard these terms over and over and over again. And I, I never realized how it almost like makes a a really a Catherine version sandwich because there's nothing on it. There's, <laughs> uh, There's compassion and then there's, uh, forgiveness, and then mercy is what binds them. Yeah. Because the actual definition of mercy is uh, it is compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So God had every, every bit of power to destroy Nineveh. He could have said, you know what, I don't feel like giving you another chance. Like, I'm just going to wipe you out. Okay, Bye. Um, But instead, he took his compassion and his forgiveness, and he gave it to them because though they didn't deserve it, that's who God is. And it's hard for us to fully understand that because we're human. And like Jonah, we're limited to that Dixie cup. We can't stand at the ocean and understand everything that's happening. All we can understand is what we can hold. And for for compassion, one of the the meanings, the border meanings in Hebrew is is to show pity, to love, and to show mercy. So again, compassion and mercy are intertwined. And for forgiveness, the definition um, that I read, and it's obviously not Webster's uh, definition, but it's God's restoration of a relationship that entails the removal of objective guilt. So when God forgives the people of Nineveh, he doesn't just forgive them and they don't just repent, but he says, I'm not just going to give you this, but I'm also going to remove all of the guilt and the shame that you feel from the choices that you've made. And that's what God's forgiveness is. Our forgiveness is we turn the other cheek and we might, I don't know about you, but I like to hold grudges. So we might forgive for a day, and then when, uh, when necessary, you keep it in your back pocket to pull out, yeah, pull out. right, to kind of guilt them a little bit more. But God's forgiveness doesn't do that. Right, right. Like, there's no bit of him that holds on to that guilt so that when you need his forgiveness again, he doesn't, like, pull it out and be like, remember last time? Drops the mic. No. He's like, I'm going to take it all because I want to be in, re- in relationship with you. When I think about this, I, I think about my little sister um, who is 22 and 5 foot 7. Yes, yeah, she got the height. I, got, I did not. <laughs> um, and we could not be more different. We, but we used to fight like this. When I think of forgiveness, you know, my mom used to say, like, what do you say? you say, like, will you please forgive me? And this used to be our favorite line, um, and honestly, probably still is when we get in fights, let's be honest. Um, I'm not ready to forgive you yet. (laughs) (laughs) And then walk away. (laughs) Because because we're both grudge holders, and even though we know it's time to forgive this person because it's time to move on, we would rather relive it and rehash it over and over again. So then eventually the person forgives, and then about you know, four years later, we're in an argument, and all of a sudden it's like, well, do you remember? <laughs> like, back in 1990, whatever, you wore my shirt and destroyed it, and it's like 2002. <laughs> and like, that's, that's what I think of when I think of our limitation to forgiveness. Yeah. But then I think of how many times I've had to ask God for forgiveness and how many times he, for the same thing. It's not even like different things. It's the same thing. And he opens his arms to me and he says, I forgive you. And he doesn't throw anything in my face. He just forgives me. And and with mercy and, and, with, and compassion and, and those things, are embodied in forgiveness because when you're forgiven and you're truly forgiven, you can't help but feel that mercy, yeah. where you should have de- you deserved punishment, but you were given mercy and compassion. Yeah. That's right. You deserved to be like told you're wrong, or you're, or maybe even some like worse. But God said, "I'm still going to tell you um, you're wrong." But with mercy and compassion, it dripped in mercy and compassion because you're my child. And so I was kind of looking through and um, thinking, the the New Test the Old Testament can be a little bit hard sometimes to digest. So we tend to get comfortable in the New Testament. And so I found um, in the New Testament in Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son, and Again, I've grown up hearing this story. And as I read it, I realized that it was almost a, um, it, was, it was another example of Jonah in the New Testament. Uh, the, the younger brother, the one who goes and takes his inheritance and squanders it, is like Nineveh. And then the older brother who does nothing but stay close to his father's side. He never leaves. He is faithful. He does what his father asks of him. That's Jonah. And then the father, who gives his younger son his inheritance, even though he knows, like, this isn't going to go well. (laughs) And who opens him with, like, who welcomes him home when he comes home and who sets his, son, his older son in place when he needs to be, but yet also says, you have everything of mine. That's God, and that's God in Jonah and also this story. So it says in 15, Luke 15, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called to your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So the son, who's done all of these things, and, and again, he's, he's coming saying, I'm going to say to my dad, I've done all this wrong against you. I don't deserve, like, I don't deserve your compassion. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But before he even gets to his dad, his, his dad sees him and he, like, comes running at him. And he, like, embraces him and doesn't even, and he allows him to say all the things he wants to say, but he doesn't even acknowledge what he said. He just says, get him the best. So I picture that's, I mean, honestly, there's not a great deal of uh, detail when it comes to Jonah and when it comes to how Nineveh responded to Jonah's message, but I have to imagine that it had to have been something like that. You know, God is bringing in this person, and he's saying, I'm opening my arms to you and everything that you've done is forgiven. And we're not even going to talk about it. I'm just going to let, I'm just going to give you this. I'm going to give you my forgiveness. And I'm going to give you my compassion. and I'm going to give you my mercy. And so the older brother naturally finds out that there's a party going on. And he comes back. And in verse 28, it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, "Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've give, you gave me a young sorry, you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him." And he said to him, "Son, you're always with me." And all that is mine is yours. So like Jonah, the older son, is saying, look at everything I've done. And you've done nothing to recognize that. You've done nothing to show me. Like, you've not even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Like, you've done nothing to show me that I've done anything good. You've done nothing to reward my faithfulness. Yet this son, who's done nothing to deserve it, got a fattened calf and was welcomed in. Superiority limits us from knowing who God truly is. Feeling that we know what people deserve and when they should deserve it stops us from allowing them, to, allowing God to use us to display his character. When we stand there thinking that we get to decide who we like, um, who we want to have saved, and all of those things, God, God has stopped. It doesn't mean he can't use us because obviously he still used Jonah. He still uses us, but do we miss the mark? Do we miss the lesson? When um, I was thinking about a different kind of Jonah moment, when there's been times of where maybe I've been a little bit superior, um, And having a hard time extending God's forgiveness and grace, uh, I—it was honestly—it was hard for me because no one wants to take that moment. Because in my mind, like, I got this. Like, everyone deserves God's grace and and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. Um, I realized that there, uh, there's one really glaring instance that, honestly, I don't talk about very often. But when I was in high school, uh, I was in an abusive relationship for 19 months, and it was a verbally and emotionally abusive relationship. And some of you might know that, but what you don't know is that was actually the start to all of my health problems. Um, That was when I started getting really sick. I went from weighing a healthy 125 pounds to like 103 um, in like two weeks. And... I still have a hard time thinking about this person having received God's mercy and grace and forgiveness and compassion and all of those things that God is because he hurt me. And I live every day with this reminder that I was hurt. Um, Actually, this past week, I got pretty sick. I had some sort of reaction to something I ate, and it was, like, awesome. Like, I'm just going to share this story, and I got sick this week, and it was another reminder um, of the fact that, yes, I might have forgiven him, but I can't say that if he were to walk through those doors and want to worship alongside me, I would be able to fully extend the mercy and compassion and forgiveness that God extends to me because there are still days, if I'm perfectly honest, where I don't feel like he deserves it. And so as I was sitting here, I was thinking, God, if he were to walk through those doors, if if this person who hurt me so bad were to walk through, how would I be able to remove myself so that your character could shine through me? So that I would be able to not be like Jonah and, and feel like he didn't deserve that and not be superior and stop myself from fully understanding what you're trying to teach me, but instead be on the other side and actually get the lesson and not miss it. So I came up with a couple of ways, and the first was to draw close to God. And, and we hear that so true, but this past week, especially in being ill, like I have drawn closer and closer to God and 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 reading his word and and, and praying and pleading on my knees to, to be able to stand here. Because honestly, on Friday, I wasn't sure if this was going to happen. Um. And I understood the debt a little bit about God's character. I got to hold a little bit more than a Dixie cup. And so you got to draw close to God because he wants to know you. And the only way you're going to know his character and who he is and all that he is is if you're close to him. Because when you're far away from him, there is honestly no way for you to understand who he truly is and all that he is. And everything about his character And then the second one is harder than that, for sure. It's you got to die to yourself. You got to remove yourself. Because when you're in the middle of it, your human limit, like your humanity will limit. But when you step back and you let all of God and His character move forward, there's no limitations. And so. People can experience who God is through you, but you have to remove your own feelings about it and your own superiority. And then lastly, this one is to limit your your talk. The way that you say, you when you say, well, I can't forgive that person or I shouldn't show compassion and mercy to that person because you know what they've done. Like, no. our cho- Our talk should be, I can't, I need to forgive that person. And maybe I can't, but then again, you die to yourself and you say, I can't, but God can. Amen. And through me, God can show compassion and mercy and forgiveness. And I honestly think that's the lesson that Jonah missed, that he should have been celebrating that God was able to use him to show the fullness of his character. Jonah missed being able to celebrate the fact that he was used to save so many lives. Are you going to allow yourself to stand in the middle of what God wants to do in your life and how he wants to show his character to those around you and extending, or are you going to be able to remove yourself and say, God, whoever it is, whether they've hurt me or wronged me, Or in my mind, don't deserve it. In your mind, they do. So I'm going to remove myself. And I'm going to do it. And you're going to do it. And together, we're going to do it. I don't know where you're at and if there's limitations that you're putting on yourself. But I challenge you this week to, to look and reflect and see where are these limitations? What are these limitations? We all have them. How can I die to myself a little bit this week so that God's character can shine through to those at work, to the people I encounter on the streets, whatever that looks like? God wants to use you, and he doesn't want you to be like Jonah. He doesn't want us to miss the mark. He wants to be able to celebrate you as he gets to use you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are a good God and the fact that you use us and that um, <laughs> that we get to display just a, an ounce of your character. Father, you are a, a good, good God and you are a father who but despite our humanness uses us, God, and, and despite our limits, you still shine through. You're, you are without limitations. And it is in that and it is in your character that we are able to express all of those feelings towards others. So I pray over the people here today and those who aren't here, and I just ask, God, that you will show us where we need to stop limiting you and really allow you to work in us so that we can shine through. You're a good, good Father, and you go before us. So whatever um, hard conversations may need to be had, whatever healing conversations may need to be had, Father, may those happen with your character shining.